Hello, everybody. This is Mark Vines, and welcome to the Mark Vines Show. And this is your one-stop shop for everything related to freedom, liberty, the American way, and frankly, just the right way of living. And I want to welcome for you, once again, um, a guy named Michael Maybach. And I met Michael Maybach way back when, when I got involved with uh, a group called American Veterans Vote. And I really really want you to check out American Veterans Vote, whether you are a veteran or not. It's it's for everybody to understand. But these are really this is an organization that really promotes um, veterans' issues. And um, if you are a veteran, we're going to connect you with uh, candidates that are, are like-minded and support veterans' issues. But that, that applies to everybody, not just veterans. So please check them out at AmericanVeteransVote.com, AmericanVeteransVote.com. But that is the organization where I met our guest today, Michael Maybach. And Michael was on this podcast back in episode 68, and that was back in May of this year, and had a great conversation. And Michael is a distinguished fellow and member of the Board of Advisors for American Veterans Vote. And um, he has a really fascinating insight into American history, the United States Constitution, and a host of other subjects. Uh, Michael, uh, and I'm sure he'll correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I believe he was the youngest person elected to office in the United States. And so quite a unique individual, very very smart, and is going to talk to us about a number of things. But today I wanted to focus on a topic that Michael mentioned to me, and that is at-large elections in Virginia. And I learned some things about uh, all of this. And my understanding, Michael, again, will correct me if I'm wrong or fill in the gaps or educate us a bit further on how in Virginia we tend to have tend to vote pretty blue. In, in this state, and at-large elections may contribute to that. And so with that, uh, here's our guest, Michael Maybach. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Marcus, and honored to be on your program again. And um, uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, on, the, <laughs> on my um, modest uh, historical note that you mentioned, uh, when I was a college student in April 12, 1972, I was elected to the DeKalb County. That's a county in Illinois. It's an agricultural county where barbed wire was invented. I was elected to the county board. That was three months, 12 days into the 26th Amendment, giving uh, 18-year-olds the right to vote. So um, it's just that I was the first person in the country under 21 to run for office under 21 and get elected. Oh, wow. It wasn't, um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, did this first kind of a thing, but now I'm sure there's a lot of people 18 to 21 who have been elected to office. But that was uh, that was many many years ago. I was a young college student and and um, didn't uh, <laughs> didn't think I'd get elected to six to one Democrat district. I ran as a Republican. I think it was 1972, correct? That's right. And I got elected by 37 votes. They called me landslide Maybach and. <laughs> so, I think it was my fraternity brothers, uh, Greek Row. I got everybody in the fraternities and sororities to, on campus to register to vote. And um, I'm sure the my friends at Tri Sigma or Delta Upsilon got me elected to office. So anyway, but thanks for having me on today to talk about Virginia. Okay. I, I've been um, a resident of Alexandria, Virginia, which is George Washington's hometown. Um, he actually was the surveyor and laid out the streets for this, this town. I live on Queen Street. He lived on Cameron, the next street. And George Washington and James West named all of our seats here in Old Town. So this is a, a town uh, built in 1749. I did not know that, home. by the way. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was built 
Alexandria was built because we sent a, we shipped a lot of tobacco across the ocean to England, but it was arriving with lots of weevils, you know, tobacco um, weevils, I guess you would call them, um, eating the tobacco on the way. And so the British customers demanded that there be an inspection at the ports to make sure tobacco being shipped wasn't full of bugs. And so the governor, Dimwittle, and the state legislature, they were all reporting to the king, I guess you would say. Um, these were all royal government officials, colonial officials. They determined that Alexandria on the Potomac River was a good place to start a city in order to inspect tobacco. So that's why we are a city and one of our main streets that goes down to the river is called Orinoco because we grow Orinoco leaf tobacco in Virginia and they named it after the city uh, the street after where all the wagons went to be inspected and shipped I had no uh, idea I mean, about all that yeah that's fantastic <laughs> anyway, anyway but uh, so uh, I've been here a long time and one of the things I learned when I moved here in 1997 was that our city council I'm a block from City Hall which is on King Street I'm on Queen Street you get the idea we have Prince and, and Duke and and all the rest here, um, uh, our city elections are at large. We, when we vote for city council, we vote for six candidates on a list of you know more than six and one mayor. And so everything is at large. And I thought that was very curious. And of course, what I came to learn was that at large elections create a single party uh, rule over and over and over again, because as long as there's a uh, one party dominance. We have a Democratic Party dominate here. Um, uh, this there is no competition. The competition is all in the Democratic primary. So then I learned that Charlottesville, where University of Virginia is, has at large elections as well. And so does Falls Church, Virginia, and so does Arlington County, which is a it's a it's a large city. We we uh, most of us consider it a city, but it's a county. Uh, right next to Alexandria and Falls Church. And so those four municipalities in Virginia all are at-large elections, and they all have 100% Democrats, uh, members of the Democratic Party, in uh, the mayoral and city council positions. There are no elected officials from any other party in those, in those municipalities. And so as I learned this as a, <laughs> 20 some years ago when I moved here and I learned this, I said, my gosh, uh, who else has at-large elections in the United States? And Alexandria is the largest city in the United States with at-large elections. It's very uncommon, and only small cities may have it, you know, where, where they have, let's say, 20,000. But uh, so I started looking in the history. And um, the um, after the Second World War, Mark, um, troops came back. And uh, the South was starting to change because people who had served, black and white men and women, had served in the military and were quite upset and uncomfortable with some of the Jim Crow segregation of the South, including Virginia here. And so, um, and of course, um, Brown versus Board of Education, which was 1954, came out of some of these demands to integrate the schools and stop this uh, uh, segregation by design, whether it would be a Jim Crow law or election laws. Well, one of the things that was adopted in the South, including in Virginia, 
across the South was the idea, well, we don't want to have black neighborhoods have a voice, so we'll have at-large elections so the white majority or the right neighborhoods will always have the control of City Hall. We won't have any uh, minority votes, if you will, or m minority voices on city councils or county boards. And in, historically, that was uh, black voices and black votes on local councils. So this idea of at-large really sprung out of this idea to have the majority control the minority. Um, so uh, we had a, a governor here named uh, Harry Bird, Harry S. Bird Jr., who was a governor and then later a U.S. senator, who ran what they came to call the Bird Machine in Virginia. And the Bird Machine uh, uh, encouraged, um, well, they actively opposed, publicly opposed school integration in the 1950s. And, and, um, and uh, as governor, he actually took over a few of the schools for a while to try to stop um, the forced integration of schools. So this was uh, uh, initially a, a racial issue. Well, uh, there's, there's a lot of history in each of these towns in, in, in Arlington County, but basically um, the at-large elections were adopted uh, as a way for the Democratic Party, not only for racial reasons, but this they could see that since we're the majority, we can, with at-large elections, control everything, no matter what happens um, with all these uh, school integration, et cetera. We want to have control. So. Um, Alexandria, which was started in 1749, had its first real elections in 1790. And believe it or not, the city of Alexandria, with just, I don't know, 20,000 people or less in 1790, had a bicameral city council. We had aldermen and we had councilmen, and they had staggered terms, just kind of like the House and Senate, because this was the founding period. Uh, with Montesquieu affecting not only the thinking of the founders in Philadelphia in 1787, but the whole idea of checks and balances and bicameral legislation was quite popular among people um, who wanted to have Republican small r or Democratic small d government in their local government. So we, um, we had um, bicameral, and then 1804, they decided to get rid of the bicameral, and from 1804 until... Uh, 1950, when uh, all this uh, hubbub was happening in the South, um, we had city council wards in Alexandria. But starting in 1950, they went to at-large elections, and and they moved the elections from every two years to every three years. So our city council elections, um, uh, the only only city Alexandria in the whole state that has three-year terms rather than two or four. All the rest of the counties in Virginia and cities have either two or four-year election terms, uh, either lined up with, almost all lined up with the state uh, elections for governor and state legislature and not the federal elections, uh, but our elections um, were different than that. So anyway, <laughs> we have at-large and we have three-year terms and then, um, but the good news is from 1804 until through 2009, our local elections were always in the spring, in, typically in May, uh, and therefore they weren't um, on the same election day as state or federal elections. They were city elections only, and therefore only the folks that live in Alexandria 
uh, would turn out to vote because, uh, you know, people that come and go from a town, they moved there for two years, they won't vote for local elections because they don't really care about the locality. If they live in an apartment or something, they don't own a home. And so um, we had a two-party system here. It wasn't very robust, but we had a two-party system here uh, through 2009. In 2009, the six members of the city council were up for re-election, and a Republican um, man named Frank Fannin and a, and a independent woman, uh, a black woman named Alicia Hughes, ran uh, against the six Democrats, and they defeated two of the Democrats. They defeated uh, Tim Lovain and Justin Wilson. Uh, and Justin Wilson and Tim Lovain were not very happy that uh, they were not reelected. And so two days after the May 5th election, May 7th, they filed a motion. They were still the city council. The new people hadn't been sworn in yet. They filed a motion to move our elections here in Alexandria to November. And they knew that would be November 2012, which was the presidential election, which is a huge turnout, as you know. And uh, they did that. And so three years later, when we had our city council elections, November of 2012, uh, Frank Fan and Alicia Hughes were defeated by Tim Lovain and Justin Wilson because they had moved the election date mm. and therefore... Uh, the, you know, uh, vote for six, straight party vote, uh, they, they defeated the two people that, who had defeated them, by not, not by out-competing them with their ideas or their policies, but by simply throwing our local election into a huge national election, or actually for Barack Obama, he was the candidate who won here in, in Virginia, and uh, the two, the two non-Democrats were thrown off the council, and um, we have not had a mayor or a, a, um, a city council member from the Republican Party ever since. It's been 100% one party. And we see the same thing in these other three uh, localities, all one party rule. Well, the, you know, I, I'm somebody that follows politics pretty closely. And I know a lot of the, the people that are in the organizations that I'm in, we've, we all follow this closely. And until you mentioned this in a meeting that I was at and described how this system keeps Democrats in power, as you mentioned, uh, I remember everybody in the room was surprised to hear that, and we'd never thought of it that way, which says to me, Mike, that if I don't know that, if I'm not aware of that, the, the people that do not stay as informed as we do have no clue that this is, is occurring. So what can we do to educate the public, number one, other than do things like what we're doing right now in this podcast? But is there anything that we can do as a, as a, a state, as a commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Virginia? Is there any way to get this changed to where it's a more fair election? Yeah. The, um, the Constitution of Virginia provides that once a city moves its election from a non-November well, um, I don't know if it's the Constitution, but um, the state law, state law is uh, that once a city moves its election to November, it can't move it back to another date. And this is so people don't play games with, you know, one year is November, the next year it's, it's February, et cetera, kind of playing politics with the dates. So we can never again here in, in Alexandria or uh, these other cities, as I, I mentioned, Arlington County and the other two cities, we can never go back to a non 
November election. Um, but what has to happen is the city council or county board, uh, in the case of Arlington, has to actually vote to save to change their city charter or their county charter. They're chartered by the state legislature to be a municipality. And then the state legislature has to approve that. And almost without fail in Virginia, if a state is asked to change a city charter by the city council or county board, they do that because these are the local elected representatives unless it seems like it's patently an unfair system or something. So the only way to change this in these four municipalities in Virginia is for members of those governing bodies to actually uh, vote, majority vote, to change the city or county charter and then take it to the legislature, which will then probably rubber stamp it and the governor will sign that. However, <laughs> if you're the majority party, why would you ever want to change this. And um, so, for example, um, uh, at my urging, uh, an independent and a Republican who ran for city council um, this year, This we just had city council elections this year, uh, because I've been trying to educate people on this, they both endorsed returning to city council wards. But of course, I went to the Democrats and none of the Democrats would sign on to doing this because, of course, they know they have one-party rule. Why would they uh, campaign to eliminate their uh, iron grip hold on power by saying, yes, let's have city council wards and break up our monopoly power here? And so, ironically, you have to have the same people that are benefiting from the monopoly uh, vote to change the city charter. And um, I'll give you an example. Um, we had... Um, uh, 13 Democrats run in the city council uh, primary in June to get the six places on the ballot to represent the Democratic Party. Of those 13, they all lived in two of Alexandria's eight zip codes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and currently, um, uh, all of these, the Democrats and the, and the mayor on the city council all live in those two zip codes, which means we have six zip codes in Alexandria that have no neighborhood representation, even de facto, if not de jure, which is, uh, so if your basement floods because the city sewers back up, um, who do you call that morning when you're bailing out your basement? Well, uh, call six, I guess, but they all are staying in bed sleeping because nobody's going to call them up. I, when I first moved here, this is how I found out about the situation. When I first moved to Alexandria, the third week I was here, I put my garbage out every Monday morning out in front of my garage because that's our garbage day here. And the for whatever reason, the garbage men skipped my garbage cans. They did all the rest of the street, but they didn't do mine. So I called City Hall and I said, I live on Queen Street. Who's my city council member? I want to tell them that my my uh, garbage has been skipped. And she says, oh, you're in luck. You have city, six city council members. And <laughs> I said, what? And I said, well, which one do I call? Well, take your pick. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And that's how I found out about this system three weeks into living here was I didn't have. So I've got a one congressman. I've got one state senator. I've got one House of Delegates member. I've got one governor, one attorney general. You get the idea. Um, but when it comes to city council, I have not one but six. And when 
and and when six people are responsible, of course, everybody just says, well, I'm very busy, but, you know, call somebody else. And they don't even live in my neighborhood. These people don't live in my neighborhood. They live across town in one of those zip codes. And my zip code is not one of the one of the two they live in. So um, it's it's um, it's very frustrating. Uh, we we have a lot of people here very unhappy with um uh, the situation, people that are homeowners. But we have, because we have so many condos and so many apartment buildings, every six years, almost half of our population of 170,000 uh, turns over. Uh, we have a stunning uh, movement because you have people moving here to work for Congress or the administration. People uh, get married. People uh, buy one condo and then they have enough money to buy a, a large home or something. And so um, we have people voting for our city councils here locally who um, two, four, six years later, they're living in another municipality and they're not living with the elected officials they, they vote for. And because they vote for straight party and because we're a, largely a democratic region here because of the, partly because of the federal government, which is, uh, you know, sort of pro, pro-government folks that work, work in government, I guess that's sort of uh, understandable in a way. Um, we have a lot of people elected local local officials that two or three years later uh, don't have to live with that local government they've elected. So um, when we had the May elections, those folks that, that are come and go, you know, these transient people, apartment uh, renters, et cetera, they rarely uh, vote for city council. Now it's on the ballot, so they just vote straight party from president all the way down to city council. Yeah, and that makes so a lot of sense. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. – <clears throat> If you're listening to this podcast and you don't live in the the area that we live in, and they call it the DMV, uh, the District Maryland, Virginia, and when you get real into the real close to the city, uh, Washington D.C., and I'm in the the suburbs of of Northern Virginia, it's a very unique place, and I think the, the people rest the around the rest of the country may not relate. It's kind of hard to relate to how the politics here are because like Mike just said, you know, you have, you gotta remember Washington DC is a very transient area. It, it just is. You have a lot of military, you have government, you have, you know, elected officials and the elected officials bring their staffs in and there's a constant rotation. People move in, people move out. And the, the look and the feel of the demographic uh, every four years, when you, when you talk about, um, you know, a president, the changing of a presidency, Really, that just the types of people that come into the area are, are different, and it's kind of interesting to watch. You know, I've been here for a while, so it's it's interesting to see that. But what the, I think the ultimate effect is that people that come here tend to identify being from somewhere else, and that's really where they you know they care about. They care about who their governor is. They care about their senators and their their congressperson and so on and so forth. And even you know their their local municipalities. But because this area tends to be a temporary location for a lot of folks, I don't know that there's a lot of attention paid to this. And then people, like Mike just said, vote straight party ticket, and it perpetuates this. Now, if uh, people were permanent residents here or there was a higher proportion of permanent residents, I think people would really not like this system at all and would push to have it changed. But because of that temporary nature, people really aren't pushing it to be changed. For example, Washington, D.C., for example, it, you know, I worked there. I was in the D.C. Police Department. That is one of the most inept gov- local governments you've ever seen in your life. And it's such a transient city 
that people allow that to happen. I really think if Washington, D.C. was a city somewhere else, people would never tolerate the incompetence of that government. I mean, is there truth to that, Mike? I mean, do you agree with me? Yes. Um, people people want to um, who, know who they can hold accountable. Uh, they want to have one name on a ballot for every office, um, or you know, two names or four names, whatever. They want to elect one person per office. Uh, and by the way, the District of Columbia, just like Richmond, Virginia, have city council wards. So in that sense, they have this. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to mention But they keep electing some of the most ungodly, incompetent people you've ever seen in your life. Well, you know, I don't live in the district, so I don't. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. Well, I worked um, there. I, <laughs> I worked there. It was a mess. It still is. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Uh, maybe think, something I can point to in case people live in Maryland. Um, the, um, the, the most populous county in Maryland is Montgomery County. Yeah. That, I guess, in Baltimore County. Montgomery County has a county council made up of five district representatives. So they have five districts, but then they have four at-large representatives for a total of nine. And um, they have over a million people in Montgomery County. I think it's 1.3 million, something like that. Um, but what they were finding is that, um, that the four at-large were being elected um, uh, in the area of... Um, Bethesda, Silver Spring, Tacoma Park, in that dense metro area, uh, south and east in the county. And um, so even though there are five votes from, well, in including uh, one from, from that area, you had the other four at large all living together with that one in the, in the, in the, uh, in the first district. So you had sort of five uh, majority in one of the districts because of the at-large. Mm. And so um, uh, two years ago, there was an effort by local citizens called um, Support 9, which is Support 9 districts. In other words, move from five districts to have nine equally populated districts. And you can, you can put into your browser um, Support 9 or Support 9D, I think they call it. And um, to get rid of Montgomery County at-large elections. Of course, that was voted down by the people in the most populous areas. And so one of the things we, we learned in, in all of this was when our founders put together our Constitution, uh, they made it really hard to change the Constitution for better or for worse um, because they, they wanted to have a design that was, that was something people could rely on and understand. But once you create these at-large districts, whether it's in, in Maryland and that county where it's sort of a hybrid, like they have in Virginia Beach, they have the same sort of hybrid of at-large and city council. Um, once you create these at-large systems, the majority vote of the at-large side of that party will resist strongly uh, changing anything. And so unless you have a court that rules somehow that this is unconstitutional against state constitution or against the equal protection clause of the constitution. Uh, uh, it's, it's something people, at least here in Virginia, are pretty much stuck with. Uh, the only hope would be if you have some people from, from the ruling party, actually, who run on a ticket of let's return towards 
because they want to get the neighborhoods to unite and to elect uh, a city council who would return to city council wards, that might be the way to have change. But I, after 25 years, and I've watched this a uh, long time here, I pretty much resigned to the fact that there only be one party ruling city hall a block from my house, and yet none of the city council members live near city hall. They all live I mean, our six city council members and, and mayor can all shovel each other's driveway in the winter because they all <laughs> live within they all live within three miles of each other, and um, and the rest of the city, which is Eisenhower Avenue and the West End and the other areas that are growing in population, they have no voice at all for their neighborhoods, and so I I, I wish I had a solution for you, but other than having some good people stand up and say we need to have neighborhood voices you know sort of no taxation without neighborhood representation might be a good slogan right right well i think that educating the public like we're doing right now is a great start because i had no idea yeah. i had never heard this until i heard it from you yeah and that's yeah. why i wanted yeah, to have yeah. you on the show well you're very kind thank you for taking the time to do this and to discuss this so uh if if your listeners are live in charlottesville or falls church or El Alexandria or Arlington County, at least here in Virginia, or Montgomery County, as you heard, there was a citizen movement to change their um, governing um, structure. Um, you know, uh, people can organize and, um, and take this on, but it really, uh, you really have to raise the visibility and find neighborhoods who, no matter what their party, feel that they really should have, uh, you know, one man, one vote, rather than vote for six. Uh, the funny thing here is that we're told every every three years we have a city council election, vote for six. The ballot says vote for six. And then you have a list of Democrats in a box, and then you have the list of Republicans in a box, and then in, independents in a box. And, of course, people don't know half the names of any of these people because it's a big city, 180,000 now. And so they just vote for their box, all Democrats. It's just a, you just go down one, two, three, four, five, six in this box or – in the case of Republicans, typically we only have one or two Republicans running and one or two independents. People that run, even though they know the at-large system will mean that they'll never get elected to city council uh, now that we've moved to November elections. But that's been the case. And, of course, now our mayor, Justin Wilson, just got reelected. He's the guy that in May of 2009 was, was thrown out of office by our voters uh, when they had the May election. And uh, he changed the rules, and now, ironically, the guy that was thrown out by the voters changed the rules is now the mayor on his second term here in Alexandria. Mm. And, of course, if he had never moved the election to, from May to November, he would have been off the city council. You know, I've, I've said this before, Mike, and I'll say it again. I really do admire how the Democrats operate. <laughs> I really wish, uh, I mean, not in a good way. I, I mean, they're, they're yeah. very, very clever in how they do things. And I really just yeah. wish Republicans yeah. would get a bit, a bit smarter tactically yeah. in, in how, how we operate. And uh, yeah. as you, as you know, Mike, and maybe even get your, your sort of your thoughts on this last election we had here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, as you know, we, we took back the house of delegates and, and the governor's seat yeah. and which is, was fantastic. But I'll, I'll tell you, Mike, if it hadn't been for, uh, the Loudoun County School Board and the controversy going on there, I doubt we would we would be having this conversation at all. Uh, yeah, it was I really just a, a, a stunning mistake on the Democrats' parts that they, 
said out loud what they've been thinking silently all along, but it turned out the way that it did. But, you know, the Democrats really operate. They know what the heck they're doing, and we have to do a better job of that, I think. So when Jefferson – so a, a lot of people, when they read the Declaration or they think about it, they remember one – phrase, which is, we are endowed by our creator with our rights, our inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's what people recognize about the Declaration. The next sentence people don't often read and think about, and that is, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. This is Jefferson again in the Declaration. I think conservatives or people that believe in limited government, and that's the founders certainly did, and most Republicans, because the, the Republican Party is sort of a limited government party, I think that's fair to say. We begin with the idea, government's supposed to be limited, and we serve because it's, we need to serve to secure our rights, individual rights. I think people um, in the other party, uh, on the left, especially, they see government not as a way to secure rights, but to enforce equality, to change society, to um, have the majority uh, dominate and get their way and put aside uh, the, the minority. Uh, not in all things, but in most all things. And um, so for them, the constant study of the uh, processes of government, you know, sort of, if you will, if government becomes your secular religion, it's sort of how you will save um, your community or save the world, you know, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a way that I think is, is very problematic. Um, but government becomes sort of a secular uh, faith. Uh, they will study it the way people of faith will study, let's say, their Bible or you know, the, the uh, Jewish documents, yeah. et cetera. And so they are much more of a student of this because we conservatives, and those are usually Republicans, not always, but usually uh, we, we want government to be limited so that people will be free uh, because we understand that man's nature is broken and therefore government is here to make sure that tyranny does not arise from the majority. Now, when I give a talk, uh, my, my day job is I work with Save Our States. I give speeches around the country uh, explaining and defending the Founders Electoral College. And the first slide I use in those talks is a picture of Socrates taking the hemlock. And with Plato and other young men uh, sitting around him watching this, um, and, as, and I ask, the audience, the Rotary Club or a college students or whomever I'm speaking with, what's going on? And of course, somebody in the audience knows that Socrates, after the Peloponnesian Wars and all the damage it did to the Greeks, especially to Athens and its own uh, form of self-government, uh, Socrates was critical of, of war uh, among the city-states and was asking of the young men what they wanted to be in their lives, hoping that they didn't all want to be warriors in another war, uh, to make a long story short. And he was um, uh, brought to trial 
uh, among the ruling men of Athens, and they voted by a majority vote after the trial to have him put himself to death by drinking hemlock because he was corrupting the youth by asking questions. And so I asked the audience then, how do you feel about minority rights? Are you in favor? And everybody raises their hand. They're for minority rights. This old man shouldn't have been killed for asking questions. And I say, well, the founders uh, feared majority tyranny uh, as well. And Socrates, um, number one student was Plato. Plato wrote a book called The Republic yeah. in which he writes, in which he writes, democracies always become or naturally become tyrannies because the majority always wants its own way and the minority will then suffer. And so his number one student was Aristotle. Uh, and Aristotle wrote a book called The Politics, wherein he deals with the problem of democracy, which is it tends to majority tyranny, because he learns this from Plato and from Socrates' book called uh, the apology, Plato's apology is really the explanation of why Socrates was put to death. I recommend all of your listeners read, it's very short, 40 pages, read Plato's apology. It's a, a trial and execution of a man for asking questions. And in Aristotle's politics, in his book Politics, he says, the way to deal with the tyranny majority is to divide power among the king, he calls it a Caesar, right? Uh, among the um, uh, among uh, a legislative body, the Roman Senate becomes the Roman Senate. And then the citizens, which in Rome was a subset of the total population, of course, these were sort of ordained citizens. And so in other words, checks and balances, the division of power. Montesquieu in his book seven, in 1748 called The Spirit of the Laws, Montesquieu takes up this theme. He studied for He's a Frenchman. 20 years he studied why uh, dem democracies always failed. And his prescription was the checks and balances we have today. You have to divide legislative power. We have a House and Senate. The executive power has to be curbed um, by overrides. And, of course, the, the executive can veto the congressional acts. And then you have to have a court system like our Supreme Court to overrule the other two if they aren't following the Constitution. And, of course, we're free because of those checks and balances, not because the Bill of Rights. We're free because uh, Washington is always at war with each other uh, over power, and we, we are hoping that we stay free because, because those in power are always struggling with each other. Um, uh, we, we're free because of that, and what we don't have here in Alexandria is any checks and balances at all, from one party rule and it becomes right. in, in little petty daily ways tyrannical because you know if you if you've got a problem on your street and you complain they say well who cares you can't ever defeat us uh, so we don't have to be responsive and then people so people here they don't run for office anymore except in one party people in my party the republican party don't run for we had one person run this year but we used to have a bunch of people from my party run but over the years people just say there's no way. So, for example, uh, this year was different, but in most years, no Republican will run for state senator or state delegate from my district here because they know they will be defeated. And because they haven't been able to serve on the city council, they are unknown. They haven't shown that they can serve locally in order to become a public servant at the state level. So the first rung of the political ladder is typically local government. 
Harry Truman started his political career as a county board member. Uh, Tim Kaine, our U.S. Senator today, started his political career as a member of the Richmond, Virginia City Council, and on and on. Um, this is how most people get into politics as they work their way up from city council or mayor to state representative to governor or uh, secretary of state, et cetera, to U.S. congressman to U.S. senator. And if you don't have the first rung of the ladder politically in Alexandria, Arlington, Falls Church, Charlottesville, then people can never show their neighbors and others that no matter what your party is, I can serve you well and I have good judgment and you can trust me and you can elect me to the next big thing. But if you can't get involved in, in the city council or mayor, you can never, it's very hard to, to go to the next uh, political office being unknown to even people in your own neighborhood as an elected official. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. It, it really it really cuts off the roots of the next set of leaders from a certain party. So the Democrats, um, by doing this in these four communities, all the state legislators from these areas are also Democrats because, because in part, the farm system that's bringing up the next group, we don't have a farm system, as they say in baseball. We don't have a farm system of young people being a city council member and then a mayor and then building from there to a larger career in politics, whereas the Democrats have uh, 100% of all the uh, elected offices. Uh, here in Alexandria, we have the sheriff. The, the court administrator, et cetera, the county, the county or the, sorry, the clerk, clerk of the court, they're all Democrats. It's all one party because it's just um, the, the controlling party gets um, gets all the advantages of being um, a one party rule. Right. And for, I, I'll tell you what, even the most diehard political, politically involved people, when you really think about when you go to an election, you may, I mean, what drives most people to elections? It's it's the presidential election, the general election, let's be honest. Maybe the governor, maybe, you know, you might recognize the names of the person running for the Senate, Senate, maybe your House of Representatives. But pretty much below that, there are very few people that recognize every name on the ballot or the, the ballot yeah. initiatives. I mean, again, yeah. even the most, even the most dedicated political followers don't know the names of the the local offices in many many cases right. and so what do you end up doing you end up voting party line in many cases right. well the democrats have exploited mm -hmm. that and that's how they're staying in power because there's no way that you're looking at that list of six names and you know who all six of those people are there's just no way so you just yeah. you just so what you do is you just keep that party in power or it, it keep mm -hmm. it you know slanted towards the democratic party and then there you go right. and then that like you said and i think that that's an excellent explanation for this this constant cycle and i know in virginia i always hear people say to me in virginia what the heck is going on by and large if you go out of northern virginia by and large virginia is a pretty conservative state but northern virginia throws the election off every single election cycle uh even look at this election even though uh the republicans won um the the, the governor's um uh, race and won back the house of delegates uh, when you look at the numbers in, in Northern Virginia, it still, still was very slanted blue, very much slanted blue. And, and I think that, Mike, your explanation uh, today really goes a, a long way in explaining why that is. And I thank you for that. Yeah, sure. That's Arlington County, Alexandria, and Falls Church, those three are all what they call Northern Virginia. And that's, 
and these are um, totally local governments run by one party. And then Charlottesville, it's a little bit farther south, couple two two and a half hours south, is a, is another one. But these the Arlington Alexandria piece of this really makes for a, a powerful block of, of voters and elected officials who bring in other people into politics in a way that the other party just is um, uh, floundering. They have they have no way to get uh, feet on solid ground because of this at large. So the best thing we could do for Republican small r government uh, is to have neighborhood wards uh, for county and city in these four jurisdictions. If we did that, surely my city hall, uh, number one, somebody would represent my neighborhood, which would be a change. And number two, um, the city hall would not be all six Democrats. Surely there'd be one or two Republicans from neighborhoods where people say, you know, I'm of a different party, but I like Bob or I like Barry. And uh, I think they would represent us well. I've known them a long time. They're a good neighbor, but we don't have that. We have a city council um, monopolies and that's it's too bad but that's that's what we have here in in northern virginia and uh i've, I've written two essays uh, about this if you go to alexandria times and you put in my name michael maybach m-a-i-b-a-c-h uh, you will see one essay from 2019 and one from this year on neighborhood wards um uh so that's alextimes.com com i think it is and um so if you put in my last name m-a-i-b-a-c-h you'll see those essays um and maybe if you live in one of those towns you would like to get involved this is a good way to do it and that's alex times not alexandria times correct dot com well i think i think they're yeah i'm pretty sure you probably put in alexandria times you'll get to it but i think it's alextimes.com and then M-A-I-B-A-C-H, Michael Maybach, and you will get those essays. And I've, I've published several essays in that paper over the years, one on the Electoral College, one on jury trial, why the jury trials are important, uh, one on immigration, um, and um, one or two other topics that I've published over the years. Um, uh, and so those are a couple, of, a couple of essays that I think if you read them, you'll get a sense of some of the things we're talking about today. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I definitely want to get you on this show to talk about some of these other subjects, uh, particularly yeah. the Electoral yeah. College, because that's a great debate here in the United States. And I think when you uh, are educated on why the Electoral College came about, it makes a lot more mm -hmm. sense to people. So we will definitely do that, the jury system, and those yeah. are fantastic conversations. And Mike, thank you again for coming back on the show. And once again, uh, if you want to hear uh, Mike's previous episode that is episode uh, 68 on the mark fine show and you can hear that conversation he is a great patriot uh check out his material check out those episodes or those essays rather they are very very educational and mike uh, i'd love to have you back on the show to talk about these other topics if you would come back on thanks mark and may i just mention yeah. one other thing mm -hmm. um if you go to the naacp website national association of advancement for colored people and you put in their web browser on on their website on the search bar uh, at large elections you will see 
the NAACP's policy papers against at-large elections because they were used in the South so long, so often, and so and so effectively to keep to silence black neighborhoods that historically the NAACP found these to be um, uh, very uh, unfair and th they historically have been against at-large elections. Now that um, now that they've been thrown in, in many uh, civil rights cases under the 1965 Civil Rights Act have thrown out at-large elections in certain southern cities, but they we haven't had adjudication in these cities. And now, of course, they're not used to shut up, uh, sh shut out uh, certain racial neighborhoods, but rather to silence political parties. And um, there is no Civil Rights Act for political parties, and therefore we. We have the NAACP against that large elections, which was a topic today, but for different reasons. But it shows you how um, unfair at large elections are in the views of the NAACP. Wow, that's fascinating. And I did not know that either. I, I have so many things that I didn't know and you're educating me on. And so I, I know that that's, that's true of our audience as well. And Mike, you know, thank you so much. And yes, guys, sir, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So check uh, Mike out, uh, check out alextimes.com. Check out Michael's essays. Uh, you can link to that. Uh, as you mentioned, you go to NAACP.com. Also check out our friends at AmericanVeteransVote.com. And so many different resources out there to educate ourselves with. Guys, we uh, have taken back Virginia. That's a great thing. But you know what? We're already gearing up for the midterm elections coming up next year. And, Mike, we're going to yeah. have you back. We're going to have all of our guests back. Look forward, folks, on the Mark Vine Show, the candidates that won their uh, seats that were guests on the show. We're going to have them back on and do um, kind of a wrap-up, uh, talk about how the election went, their thoughts, their opinions, and what their legislative agenda is here in Richmond. And with that, folks, once again, thank you for joining us today. Spread this podcast far and wide, particularly to all of your friends, even your uh, liberal friends, if you have any of them left, because we might, might be able to save a few of them and educate them on what makes America great. So with that, this is Mark Vines, Mike Maybach, and we will talk with you all soon.